0: Uh, William McKay here, William, uh, 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 indicating uh, that he had felt, he feels the call of God uh, to the ministry of the gospel, and the, the latter asked the session to consider that we might recommend him to the presbytery uh, to go forward into our theological halls. This wasn't a surprise to me, William and I had spoke about it a couple of times session were aware of William's sense of call Uh, that was one of the reasons that was the reason actually why we asked William to lead the midweek meeting uh, at the beginning of January usually we would reserve that for elders to do uh, but under the circumstances there's provision allowed for those who are thinking of going into the ministry and um, uh, so that letter came through to session we met with William uh, two Thursdays ago and spent a good hour or more going through guidelines, which the Synod has set down for each session to go through with uh, candidates. And we were, uh, uh, were a good time together. And on the basis of, 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 of William's interview, if you can call it that, with the session, and also what we have observed of William and uh, his family over the last 18 months, the session is happy to recommend William to the Presbytery to go forward to the Theological Halls to train for the ministry. So that's the first stage, uh, the first formal stage. Um, uh, The Presbytery will uh, will come up on the agenda on Wednesday evening at our Presbytery meeting. And then, no doubt, the Presbytery, who have a a student oversight committee, will want to talk to William uh, personally and go through uh, other Uh, Guidelines which the Synod have set down uh, for for candidates for the ministry. So it's very early days yet. It's something that William no doubt has been wrestling with over the last months, certainly the last uh, few weeks. And we're thankful that God has brought him to this point in his in his thinking, in his leading. And we can stand with William and Esther and family in prayer and pray the Lord may be pleased to open the door as it goes up now to the Press with I, uh, for their approval. So this exciting thing for, for them as a family and for us as a, a congregation here in Kellswater. We were praying uh, for a long time that the Lord would raise up workers for the harvest field and it may well be the case that one of our own number is going to be the answer to our prayers. So, yes, we'll pray about that and certainly in your own private devotions, family worship, make it a matter of prayer as well that the Lord would lead and guide and, and bless. <coughs> Beloved, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord from the Song of Solomon in verse, chapter 7 and verse 10 reads, I am my beloved's and his desires towards me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us go up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish, whether the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. Amen. Let us worship Almighty God. Let us call upon the Lord. We turn to the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 17. I think with all those announcements, I forgot to mention next Lord's Day, I'm due to be in Valley. It's a vacant congregation. Um. Uh, the Reverend William McLaren is due to come here next Lord's Day morning and evening uh, and there's no Sabbath school next maybe I mentioned that there's no Sabbath school next Lord's Day Acts chapter 17 and reading from verse 1 Now when they had passed through Apivalis and Apollonia they came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that have returned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these also do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honourable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also, and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timothy abode there still. And we'll end just there, for verse 14. Amen. My title this morning is Turning the World Upside Down. Chapter 16 closes with Paul and his companions uh, departing from the city of Philippi and they were gone but they were not forgotten by any means on both sides uh, Paul wrote his epistle to the Philippians and he opened it in these words I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always and every prayer of mine for you all and the Philippians for their part Uh, Never forgot Paul and his friends. Uh, They were one of the leading uh, supporters of Paul's ministry, of his missionary endeavors. Uh, Paul wrote to them on another occasion and said, when I I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once again, on to my necessities. So they have sent him on with their blessing, and they haven't forgotten him nor he there. And it's that city now that we turn to the city of Thessalonica, the next stopping off point in Paul's journey. Thessalonica was a hundred miles from the city of Philippi, it was the uh, most important city in, in that region. And we're told in verse 1 that to get to it, Paul passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia. Uh, Two cities in their own right, by all accounts. And yet it appears that uh, Paul had nothing more than overnight stays in these two places. Like city breaks, you might say. Uh, the, The disciples, the apostles had received some rough treatment. Back in Philippi, their wounds had hardly had time to heal, and no doubt they were still exhausted by all their uh, labours, and so they stopped off en route to Thessalonica in those two places, and by all accounts they didn't preach there, just rested there and moved on. Or if they did preach there, it doesn't appear that very much very much at all worth recording took place. But you'll notice that, uh, that Paul's missionary journeys took, uh, developed by means of stepping stones of from one city to another city. That's, that's one of the points that we get here. So from Philippi to uh, Amphipolis to um, Apollonia and then on to um, Thessalonica and, and so forth. Whenever I was in the faith mission uh, another lifetime ago, its particular field of labour was just that, uh, in the fields. It was rural uh, evangelism. But Paul was more of a city missionary. His next steps after he leaves uh, Thessalonica and goes to Berea, he, his next steps would include Athens, Athens which was the intellectual center of greek life then next to corinth which was the commercial center of the world at that or of the region at that time and then from corinth to ephesus which was the political center for the region and uh, the, the saying all roads lead to rome was very much the case or all cities were leading to Rome, which was really the center of everything, so these centers of preaching, the gospel of apostolic preaching, became the epicenters. As Paul and his friends understood the spread of the gospel, they would go into the city, these centers of uh, of of various sorts, and preach the gospel. And uh, they would become the epicenters in the sense that uh, their, their ministry would ripple out to the towns and the villages. The numerous towns and villages in the region and throughout the, the Roman Empire. So this was their ministry strategy. To go into major city after major city. And, and in one sense that was Madness. For Paul and his friends, because whenever they went into any city, they invariably run themselves into uh, dangerous situations. Uh, they would have been safer probably out in the highways and the byways. When they went into the cities, they run into all sorts of dangerous, challenging circumstances. So, in one sense, from a human sense of the thing. Uh, From a personal perspective, it was madness to run yourselves into the city and into trouble. But there was method, of course, in their madness. They could do the most good in the cities. Uh, The most populated. uh, The most influential. The most mobile. Were the cities. How it went in the city was pretty much how it went in the countryside. That was the effect that rippled out from cities. How it went in the city was how it went in the countryside. The Muslims seem to understand uh, that concept. It's why uh, they reckon that if they can capture London and Birmingham which they're well on their way to doing uh, they can more or less have Great Britain for themselves. That's the way of thinking. Get the major cities. Uh, all the London and Birmingham and Manchester and, and all the others. They get these, take over these, and then Great Britain will be there for the taking for Allah. They understand that. In our capital city in Belfast, there are two RP Churches, just two. There was five a generation or so ago, but it's down to two. And of these two congregations, they have a combined membership of 40. 40 card carrying for Christ's crown and covenant out of a population of 345,000. A church planting initiative which our denomination undertook about three or four years ago in North Belfast. They have a church in South Belfast, they have one in East Belfast, and they attempted to plant one in North Belfast about three or four years ago. But by all accounts, it was like flogging a dead horse, and it had to wrap up after 18 months or thereabouts. But the vision was right, it was right to go to the city. Uh, Just the way the vision is right, that they've gone now down to the city of Limerick with Vincent MacDonald, a friend of ours here. And they're seeking to influence Ireland from the cities, these major population centres. So uh, let us adopt the mission statement of our Shaftesbury Square congregation, which is a heart for the city. In the heart of the city. Let us have a heart. For the city. Even though we are out in the the sticks. Let us have a heart for the city. Because having a heart for the city. Is having a heart for the kingdom. And let us be praying. For these. Churches. uh, In Belfast. In Londonderry. In Limerick. In Galway. Other reformed. uh, Faithful churches. in in Dublin, uh, and other parts of the island. Because the the fact of the matter is that a lot of church planting which goes on today in an urban urban setting leaves a lot to be desired. There's a lot which is not good about church planting in in cities today. So let us remember those which are faithful uh, around, and not just of our own denomination. Well, anyhow... Paul's strategy with his friends was to go into the cities. And it wasn't their only strategy. It's a strategy we've come across earlier was to go into the synagogues. And that's what you see here in verse 1b and verse 2. They came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in onto them. This was madness again. Madness. The stripes that he and Silas had received just a couple of nights earlier had not yet been healed. And they had a doctor amongst them. Luke the physician. And you can just imagine Luke saying to Paul and Silas, This is against the doctor's orders. Don't begin into the synagogue. But it was Christ's orders. that that's the way they went about their business. The apostles were commissioned to uh, be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. To the Jew first. Christ's order was to the Jew first. And so they went against doctor's orders and the possibility of another lashing. And they followed Christ's orders. And they went into amongst the wolves as many of them have proved to be so far. Concrete jungles are just as intimidating and dangerous for evangelists as Colombian jungles are for adventurers. You take your life in your hand when you go into a Colombian jungle, and you take your life in your hands some cities you go into. But the Holy Spirit had inserted steel rods up the back of Paul and Silas and his companions' faith. The courage, of you see, of these men. Uh, Paul said on another occasion, and we'll come come to this in due course, no doubt, but on another occasion, Paul's disposition of faith was such that he said, none of these things move me. He knew he took his life in his hands every time he went into a city, a pagan city, And certainly as he began preaching amongst the Jews. But he wouldn't allow the fear of man to become a snare for him. He had been converted and called to the gospel ministry in the same instance. And the call to Christ and to the ministry came with the words, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So he went against doctor's orders and followed Christ's orders. None of these things move me. And so his campaign in Thessalonica. Became another occasion for Paul and Silas and the others. To be awarded medals for their bravery. The same of our Lord Jesus Christ and more so. And more so. As Isaiah 50 verse 7 says that he set his face like a flint. To go to Jerusalem. And it was. It needed more courage on our Lord's part. Because he knew. All things. That should come upon him Jerusalem. Paul didn't know how it was going to go. There was always a chance that he might get away. Uh, but Christ knew what waited for him. And yet nevertheless. He went to it. The courage. The courage. John MacArthur says no one will ever influence the world for Christ who lacks courage. It is courageous people who make a difference for Christ. I love reading bio- Christian biographies. Some of you do too. What's the common denominator amongst them? Their courage. Why are we reading about them three or four hundred years later? Because they had Courage. We need courage. I need courage. If William's going to be a minister, he's going to need courage. We need courage. If we're going to make a difference. So we see Paul's uh, strategy, his, his method, and his courage as he moves forward. So, if it was the Jews first, Which was Paul's custom. Well then uh, it was the scripture first, which was also his custom. He went everywhere preaching the scriptures. First 2B tells us that. And three Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. And Paul would say, Well, what else was I gonna reason from? What else? For what else has God promised to own and to bless other than the scriptures and the preaching of it? For as the rain cometh down and snow from heaven returneth not hither but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word that goeth out of my mouth it shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. What else was God going to own? What else was God going to use other than the scriptures? Church planting must be with the sower sowing the word of God. Or the church that grows up will be like Jonah's gourd. It will come up in a night and it will perish in a night. Didn't have a foundation. Doesn't have a foundation. Our own and other Bible believing centred denominations. We mustn't lose our nerve when they go church planting. Because what often happens is, and it's happened in our own church and other churches, they can labour away in a place for years, for years, and see nothing hardly. Maybe just see one or two come in and maybe two or three leave. And this can go on for 30 years, for 40 years, for 50 years. And then just up the road, uh, a group turn up, all singing, all dancing. And within five minutes. They've got a congregation of 150. Be easy to lose your nerve. It'd be easy to lose your confidence. In the preaching. Of the word of God. The whole council of it. Very easy to lose your confidence in your nerve. Uh, when you see what's going on up the road. Coming in their droves. And you're struggling away here with a handful. Paul shows us what the pattern is to be. He has this uh, triage of preaching. In verse 2b and 3. A triage of reasoning and opening and alleging. Out of the scriptures. Reasoning, opening and alleging. Out of the scriptures. That was Paul's method. When he went. Gospel planting. teach Church planting. He went into. A city. And. Uh, he, he taught with. Uh, the method of questioning. An answer. He put questions to the people. And then he, he. He answered them for them. He, he raised issues. And answered them. He used Logical. Argumentation. This is is what's behind those three words of reasoning, opening, and alleging. Uh, The idea of of laying Scripture alongside Scripture to give uh, more light onto one particular Scripture. Paul uh, judiciously opened the Scriptures, Uh, he investigated them. In the people's hearing. He, he explained passages. And then he went and he gave evidence from another place. And laid it out before the people. He built his case like a like a like a barrister. Brought all the information. All the evidence. And laid it out before the people. As if they were a jury almost. And it was all of the idea of uh, uh, intellectual stimulus. He wasn't there to... To court their emotions, to play to their heartstrings. It was all about the mind, the intellectual stimulus to get these people thinking. The sort of preaching which isn't really very popular today was Paul's method of preaching. But it's a sort of preaching which is right up the street of serious minded. Hearers, that type of preaching. And by the way, you're not automatically a serious minded hearer just because you attend a, a reformed uh, expository church or ministry. Uh, hearing the scriptures must also go hand in hand with. Searching the scriptures. It's one thing to hear reformed opening and alleging and reasoning, but it's it's searching the scriptures, and the Bereans are a good example for how to hear the scriptures. If Paul's a good example for how the scriptures are to be taught and preached and opened, well, the Bereans are a good example to the church. How they were to be received. The brain's hearing. Mirrored. Almost identically. Paul's speaking. We're told that the brains searched. The scriptures. And that word searched in the Greek. Has the same idea as Paul's. Teaching the scriptures. It has the idea of. A careful examination. Examination. Of sifting through the information. Of making a careful, exact research. Uh, like like going through the legal process. And weighing it all up. So the brain's hearing matched Paul's preaching. So that's why I say, you're not automatically... Uh, 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 a serious-minded hearer if you're not also a serious-minded searcher. We're told that the congregation or the synagogue in uh, in Berea was more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched judiciously, carefully what Paul was saying. That's the type of churches we want to plant not just a church for a church's sake so you can say i've got a church going and so many are going to it but noble churches what other type of church is there apart from a noble church that's what you'll be aiming to plant and even if the church has been planted for 260 years we ought to be able to be noble churches verse 11 tells us that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonican Jews who by and large found Paul's preaching a stumbling block. A stumbling block. Paul led all the scriptures out before them. Judiciously, carefully, scripture, with scripture? Let it all out before them. He plundered the Hebrew prophecies, and the promises and the types and the shadows of Christ and Him crucified. And He placed them alongside the historical facts of Jesus of Nazareth. This is what the Old Testament says. Now, this is what Jesus of Nazareth has done. This is what Jesus of Nazareth is. And it says in verse 4 that only some of them believed. A minority it would appear. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. Just a few. In our context today, preaching more than ever is foolishness. We know that. And preaching God manifest in the flesh, dying for our sins, buried. And rising again the third day for our justification. That's the height of foolishness. That's the height of foolishness. Preaching a day which preaches the necessity of the new birth, the necessity of repentance from dead works. That's a stumbling block. In churches, many churches. Never mind on street corners. But what else are you going to preach? What else is there? Preaching Christianity without Christ and Him crucified is only moralizing. And moralizing is only demoralizing if there's no Christ and no new creature. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And the devout Greeks, not a few. A great multitude of the chief women, not a few. That word there, which we have in verse uh, 4, they consort it with Paul and Silas. It has the idea that some of them, uh, a good number of them by all accounts of the, of the Greek uh, <coughs> Greek. Uh, Adherence to the, the synagogue, not the Jews, but the Greek who adhere to the God of Israel. That word uh, consorted has the idea that they openly attached themselves to Paul and Silas. Uh, uh, the word consorted has the idea that they, that they publicly identified themselves from henceforth, uh, they joined themselves with Paul and Silas. From from hands forth. That's the foundation of the church. What did they do? They identified. And joined themselves. To the apostolic doctrine. That was the foundation of the Thessalonian church. It's the foundation of the Protestant church. Same thing. Identifying. With the apostolic gospel. Luther and Calvin. Turn up in history. Like Paul and Silas. In Thessalonica. And they preach. They preach Christ. Uh, But it was a stumbling block. To the synagogue of Satan. And to its belief. That the sacrifice of the mass. Is a sacrifice indeed for salvation. Calvin. Luther. Some of the others. Preached. Preached. Faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone. Some of them believed and consorted with them. A great multitude of the leaders throughout Europe, and the chief men and women—not a few, but not many of the not many of the the leaders at all—and what happened in? Um, Paul says his day was the same thing that happened in Luther and Calvin's day. Organized persecution of these preachers. It says in verse five, but the Jews, and if you want to put in the word papist there, but the Papists which believe not, move with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. If you want to read Jesuits, read Jesuits. If you want to read Inquisitors, read Inquisitors. If you want to read Conspirators in the Corridors of Power and the Royal Houses, read that. Because there's nothing new under the sun. Same thing. And they gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar. And when they found them not, they drew out Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These men have turned the world. Upside down. Now that was intended as a, a charge that Paul and Silas were causing civil insurrection. It was a it was a serious acquisition. These men have turned the world upside down, but they could have taken it as a compliment. They said they're going against Pax Romanus. Roman peace. They're breaking the peace. They're overthrowing the peace of Rome. They're turning the world upside. Causing mayhem and havoc everywhere they go. But it was a compliment for them. As it was for the reformers. These men have turned the world upside down. whether it was Caesar and the Roman Empire whether it was the Pope and the Holy Roman Empire or Charlemagne and the Holy Roman Empire it was you see they weren't uh, inciting a revolution against Caesar or against Charlemagne or whoever it might have been on the throne at that time they they were inciting an uprising And a a, a mutiny and a revolt against Satan and against his kingdom. In that sense, they were turning the world upside down. But it was in an insurrection against the status quo of Satan's dominion in Thessalonica and in the Roman Empire. Gospel insurgency, overthrowing, a rebellion against the kingdom of darkness. Turn the world upside down. When Cornwallis surrendered at Yorktown on September 28th, 1781, apparently effectively ending the American War of Independence, the British army marched away to the tune entitled the world turned upside down. That's how it seemed to the English. The world had been turned upside down with this defeat. The old order of things had been overturned by a new, emerging, superior world power. That's what's happened in the, with the gospel. I just want to reassure you, brethren. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, not some hotchpotch of Antichrist, of global elites, of Davos attendees, of the climate lobby, of the World Health Organization, of the Tony Blair. Uh, Institute for Global Change of the World Bank but the kingdom of God the kingdom of God is the only new world order at work today we hear talk about always a new world order that's the only new world order which Christ has brought in his kingdom and the preaching of his gospel is overthrowing the kingdom of Satan. Don't believe that lie. That Satan's kingdom is, uh, is, is doing this. And it's not. turning the world upside down. To create a republic. Which is what happened in America. In the colonies. Because apparently. As they told the magistrates. These men preached. That there is another king. One Jesus. Never forget that there's another king. Turning the world upside down. For this cause was the Son of God manifested. To what? That he might destroy the works of darkness. Amen. Let us stand and pray.